that time, the sports talker. Here's T.J. Walker. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the future day, 2015, Trevor. 30 years ago. Still waiting came, on my hoverboard. They came to this date. What were some of the biggest differences? Or what were some of the what were some of their predictions for October 21st, 2015? Uh they had a they few had, right off off top of my head the um the uh, They had hoverboards like you mentioned. I think they didn't they have flying cars or well, something along those Well, those lines? those were some of the incorrect predictions. Uh some of the correct were um uh teleconferencing in terms of uh you know like Skype. Ta- Skype, yeah. That was on that obviously. Uh, the irrelevance of a fax machine uh, was was predicted in there, which basically in that movie was used just to fire George, uh, fire Marty McFly, and in today's age, it's just used for letter of intents uh, for for recruits. Really, all it's used for. Yeah, basically. Um, I'm trying to think. What other, I know there was a list. I haven't really looked over it completely yet, but I've 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 seen them all over the internet and everything. Of course, in terms of their well, prediction, and of course, one prediction. Could uh, which everyone was going gaga over could ironically end today, which was the Cubs winning the World Series, who could be eliminated here on on Back to the Future Day. That would be that would be something if they were eliminated on Back to the Future Day. They predicted on this day that the Cubs swept the World Series. Obviously, that's not going to happen today. But From Miami, if it happened in the year that they predicted, so the Royals and Blue Jays are playing right now. Yep, turn the TV on right now. I I was trying to mute it real quick, but I hope it didn't come on. Yeah, it just started. Okay, that's – so are they doing 2-3-2? It is. It is a 2 I I didn't – you know, honestly, I didn't even realize that that either. I always get that mixed up because basketball is 2-2-1-1-1. Well, now it is until just – what was it? This year was the first year they switched back to that, I think? No, I think they've – well, maybe, but they used to do it in every round. The finals used to be 2-3-2 in basketball. But the other rounds would be different. Now it seems like they're they're all set on two two one one one. Baseball, I wasn't hundred percent sure because it, it seems like it gets changed in a lot of sports. But two three two in baseball, I, I don't. I think that's silly. These guys fly on planes from March to today all year. They can do it again in the playoffs, and also an extra day rest doesn't hurt anybody. So uh, Blue Jays face an elimination. Another uh-huh. noon game or another <laughs> afternoon game for the. For your Toronto team, Trevor, I'm, I'm a little nervous. And, and originally, the two-three-two was put into place in the '80s when it was the Celtics and Lakers every year going at it, and they didn't have the uh, the jet uh, accessibility that they have nowadays. So they, they, the reason they did that was because the teams were going from west from coast to coast, and of course, they just some reason hung on to it two decades after it was really relevant. We're going to talk sports today, and also it is Cats Illustrated Podcast Day, the first one in this new format that we're going to do talked about it yesterday. I mentioned it on Monday. I've also posted it on catsillustrated.com. So let me, let me recap it for you. If you are just tuning in because Trevor, I do think we're going to get some more cats illustrated members that will tune into this podcast live. And if not live, they'll go back and, and listen to the podcast. Uh, so I imagine Wednesdays we may get more listeners than normal, which is, which is good. Maybe some of them uh, will stick around, but you know, Trevor, not holding my breath. So that how that will work is Which is good because you can't talk when you're holding your breath. In the second segment, so around 420, 425, we're gonna have Justin Rowland call in 
And it's basically just going to be your normal radio segment where I bring a guest on. Those that are regulars on the show, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it, it's going to be a, a slightly different format. It's going to be more open. I'll ask Justin some questions. He'll ask me some questions, which you don't normally get with me being the host of this show. And, and, and we'll go back and forth. Uh, now, we'll do that for 30, 40 minutes for this first one. We might keep it shorter than normal just to make sure everything works out. Hopefully, everything goes smoothly. And then later tonight or tomorrow, we will post the the podcast just the part with Justin and me, the Cats Illustrated podcast part. We'll post that on the website. It'll be very easy to listen to. And ta-da, the Cats Illustrated podcast, which was so popular under Brett Dawson before he left for New Orleans, is back and hopefully better than ever. It should be interesting. Trevor might say some stuff here and there. Who knows? I think I'll be watching the Toronto game. I'll let you guys do your little thing. Yeah, hopefully this grows. Where We'll take your questions on CatsIllustrated.com. We'll take your questions on Twitter. You can listen to a podcast live, which is obviously just live radio, uh, but it gives you different ways to listen to it. And then, you know, maybe someday, Trevor, get people to call in, subscribers to call in with their questions and uh, make it a little more interactive with you guys listening, which I, I, I'm excited about. I know Justin's excited about. We've gotten texts and emails galore about where's the podcast, when are we bringing it back, what we're going to do. Well, when you got Justin somewhere in Missouri, again, we can't confirm exactly where. You've got Derek Terry as a student in Lexington. You got me living here in Louisville. It's tough to get it everybody together, uh, so we'll, we're hoping this is this will work out. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, the biggest news today, Trevor, the Louisville. Nothing new on Louisville. Yesterday was kind of the bombshell, and every the aftermath is still uh, falling throughout national media. It's still the no, talk. Nothing of, new is good news, though. Correct. That is good news for if you're a Louisville part. fan. And. National News still talking about it. I, I kind of made the rounds on local ESPN and Fox Sports programming. Dan Patrick talked about it for a, a, a few minutes. Uh, you had Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless talking about it, which was the first time I've listened to those two clowns talk, and I can't tell you how long. They didn't get uh, fired along with the rest of the people at ESPN today? And that's Damn sad it. that ESPN's letting off, I think, 350 people's thoughts with those uh, as they're going to have to, one, consider a potential career change if not they're certainly gonna have to look somewhere else for work not a fun situation for those guys and girls up at espn so wish them the best but the the national it's still national news and and people are still going to talk about it it'll eventually calm down assuming nothing else comes up i'll tell you what though trevor did you read that washington post article from uh it was just absolutely ripped rick patino by sally jenkins I somebody sent it to me earlier, and I had not had a chance to actually read it though. But I've I've been texted, I've had a couple texts asking me if I've read it, and a couple people actually sending it to me, but not the uh, I have not actually skimmed through it yet. That's, woo, that's about as harsh as you can be. It's a really well written column. I figured it had to be when I had like three different people text me about it today. Now you 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 wouldn't like it, uh, and there's nothing, there's no news that came for it's a column. It's just her opinion. It's very sarcastic. She's talking like she's Rick Pitino, talking about a family atmosphere, what he knows, what he doesn't know. Uh, but, man, again, well-written, even if you don't like what she's talking about, uh, she seems like she's a phenomenal writer. I'm assuming really, she's jumping on the bandwagon of everyone. Louisville's the devil, and I'm a woman, so they treat us all incorrectly? Uh, not necessarily Louisville, but Rick Pitino. Okay. Rick Someone Pitino. she's probably never met, I assume. 
I'm sure she probably has not met Rick Pitino. And here's the thing that's kind of making me upset is uh, you're allowed to have those opinions of Rick Pitino, even if you don't know him. Agreed. And you could be you could be wrong. But, you know, how many how many times in our life do we make just judgment calls on people off one comment or one encounter or one thing they do in a game or on the news, Trevor, all the time? Uh, so majority of the country does makes himself look stupid for doing it. Exactly. So not everybody can know people before you get to judge them. Very rarely do you get to know somebody before you can judge them. Agreed. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with her doing that. On the flip side, though, and I guess this is to be expected, I am getting a little sick of all the Patino defenders that you don't actually know him, you don't know what kind of guy he is, that are coming out and writing articles, going on radio shows, doing this and that. I don't think, and, and there are certainly exceptions for this, but I don't think the majority of people are saying, Trevor, that Rick Pitino is a terrible person, a terrible human being. I don't think you need to defend him as a man. You do need to fairly question how he runs a basketball program, though. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, you can question if he's a man. He had an affair and did this and did that. Okay, that's fine. You, you can do that. But that's not what is important in this scenario. I don't. When I said yesterday that Rick Pitino needs to resign from Louisville, I didn't say he needed to do it because he's a bad person that ran this program into the ground. Something very unfortunate happened at their program that he may or may not have. I don't think he knew, but maybe he did. But it, either way, he probably should have been on top of it. And that's why you've got to let him go is because the program needs to move in a drastic, drastically in a different direction because things aren't good. The NCAA is not going to come down easy on Louisville. And so you need to move in the right direction. I'm not saying you need to let him go because he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad guy, but I also don't think people need to stand up for him about his character because that's not what this is all about. And I mean, and I understand. I mean, listen, I mean, Edward Smith wasn't driving the Titanic, but when it hit an iceberg, but he was the captain. So he's going to take blame for it. And that's, Kind of what happens with Patino. I mean, if you're the captain of the ship, regardless whether you were the one committing the crime or not, or in this case, like I said, in the comparison, hitting an iceberg, you're going to get blamed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see what ends up happening. I know Jurich has been talking to media members saying that he's not going to ask Patino to step down. Patino will be the coach of Louisville this season. And, and- Ramsey said today, and then when kind of attacked by the media to a degree uh, coming out of a meeting, said that it was not an issue, so to speak. That Does that worry the, you at all? What, that the Ramsey said that, that it wasn't an issue? or that he Just that uh, that they're so quick to put down the idea of change. Oh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, well, it doesn't bother me, but it doesn't surprise me either. I mean, look, how, how many times have we seen something happen in anything in sports or in general in any, any anywhere where someone makes – a mistake, no matter what the, the level of the mistake may be, everyone wants their head right away. That's the, the unfortunate uh, stupidity of social media. That's the uh, the problem we live in. And, of course, the ironic and uh, kind of funny part of all of it is that most of the people who flash mob on social media is wanting people's head right away because they've made a mistake. More often than not, after about three weeks, they forget about it, move on, and start going after someone else's head because someone else made a mistake and they completely don't care less about the person before them. They're kind of like the uh, the hippies in the movie PCU who just <laughs> choose a different uh, cause every three weeks. The uh, I can't remember what they were called in that movie now. I'm thinking I'm drawing a blank on it, but yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but it almost makes it seem like, and I guess 
on one hand, you could commend their loyalty to one another. On the other hand, are they too loyal to one another? Are they covering something else up? Do they know if one of these guys goes, then the whole house of cards could fall down, Trevor? No, that's it is, you know, and I don't want to speculate too much because I'm certainly speculating with that last comment. But loyalty is one thing. But when you've got potentially major, and I mean major, what Rob Doster of NBC Sports said yesterday could be the second biggest NCAA scandal happening at your program, maybe you shouldn't support those that are involved right away. Again. And yes, I know people are saying Rick Pitino didn't know about it, but you're still involved if you're the head coach. You're still involved if you're the athletic director. And so, it, but again, I, I said down. this about the but you unless you can connect that Louisville knew the money was being used for that, and or they they provide the money, then until then there's nothing that comes out by outside the lines or or uh, a a, 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 a assumed uh, escort queen, which I think is kind of a you know oxymoron to use those two words together. But nonetheless, you know you can't sit there and say you can. Louisville can still deny, 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 and it's all he said, she said until you can prove the money trail for Louisville connecting Louisville to them. Now, yes, obviously, clearly Andre McGee knew. I mean, there's no doubting that at this point. But unless he comes out and specifically says, "Oh, they knew." And even if he does say that, unless and I said that, this is again, I said this the first day this book came out, or at least the news of the book came out the day before the book came out. Unless they can get the money trail connected to Louisville, Louisville can deny, deny, deny. Now the NCAA can still punish you by the new what's the uh, lack of institutional control that's, rule. That's what I was going to tell so you. So they can say, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware, but the punishment would be a lot less, obviously, unless they connect the money. I don't. It, it would be less. I mean, it I'm assuming institutional control would lack what maybe a, a once. Uh, one off, one postseason ban and maybe ten games for Patino suspended roughly. And as we discussed yesterday, I'd rather get a one postseason ban than multiple postseason bans and loss of scholarships or even loss of scholarships in general. Well, I, I think there's enough there right now for a postseason ban, a loss of scholarships. I mean, Syracuse, what they did wasn't nearly as bad as this, and they lost twelve scholarships over four years, which is pretty bad. I, I don't but know they, if they they were be that harsh. But weren't they caught with connect with people on the coach staff knowing what was going on with Fab Mello and things? They had, but yeah, but you, uh, I mean, they couldn't connect Bayheim specifically. But, but, Louis, I mean. but Louisville's got a coaching staff member that knows that these things are going on and that was involved in funneling these things. I, I we 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 need to get to the Cats Illustrated podcast. So I would love yeah. to table these conversations. Also, have a a text into the show asking what do you think that Jurich and Ramsey and Patino are supposed to say at this juncture. And that's a good question submitted in from Hannah, a Louisville fan. I say, say nothing. You don't have to say anything right now. Say say what they were saying up until this point. Say, we're waiting for our investigation to conclude. Uh, we're monitoring everything that's going on. And we just want to we want to do what's best for this university. I, know I think how, at the end of the day, that's what everything should come back to is we want to do what's best for this university. What what is their investigation not unfolded yet? If they've been doing this since August, end of August, since they found, apparently found out, what have they not unfolded that outside the lines found out in three weeks? That they 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 know they know. I mean, I can't I can't imagine. There's nothing else that they can uncover. They that yes, that, that, that and my and my guess is they're probably going to talk to everybody they can that will say. No way, Coach Patino. They're trying to get as many people on record saying, no way Louisville knew about it. No way Coach Patino knew about it. Uh, this was Andre McGee by himself. Hell, they might even be trying to find somebody that had an idea that Andre McGee was doing something shady, Trevor, 
just so they can they can support him. Got another text in from Hannah saying, do you want Jurich to tell the media that they're looking for new hires? Obviously, I don't want th- That's not what's going to happen. That's not what I'm saying. I wonder if they're trying happen. to find Andre. I wonder, I wonder if that's what's going on. Louisville's on a hunt Maybe they are. They, they might be doing that. But, no, I'm not saying you, you go around saying that you want new hires. I'm saying you don't say anything. And you say that you're going to keep investigating. You're going to keep monitoring the news. And at the end of the day, you're going to do what's best for the University of Louisville, whatever that may be. Because ultimately, that's what it should come the down The best to. of that is keeping quiet until otherwise something comes out. Because what if McGee starts talking and says, yeah, Patino knew about it. And then it turns out to be McGee's word versus Patino's word. And while, you know, you probably lean with believing Patino there, yeah. there n- not either one would be able to prove it. Patino would say, prove that I knew about it. Exactly. McGee would say, prove that you didn't know about it. And it turned into this messy situation where Tom Jurich would say, you know, we already said that we're, we're going to support Patino and he's not going anywhere. So guess we better do that. Anyways, we need to go to commercial break. We'll table all these conversations. When we come back, Cats Illustrated podcast, Justin Rowland. Should be a good time. Let's give it a shot. The Sports Talker. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Here's T.J. Walker. It's hip to be square. It's hip to be square. We're back here, 1450, the Sports Buzz, a lovely Wednesday afternoon. And in just a few moments... We're going to start the new era of Cats Illustrated podcasting, and you won't hear that music that was playing. It's it's going to start when we start, and we're going to do that right now. So let's begin. The first new Cats Illustrated podcast joined by Justin Rowland, the publisher, first time I've been able to say that, Justin, of CatsIllustrated.com. Justin, now this is, we're using the platform of my radio show to do this. But I'm not the host of this podcast. We're both the hosts of this podcast. So you can interrupt me. You can ask me questions. You can do whatever you want. This is our Cats Illustrated podcast. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing fantastic. This also marks my debut as a radio slash podcast. I don't even know what you call it, host, if that's, if that's going to be our layout. So I'm excited. And I think it's going to be really good. I appreciate you bringing me on. Well, the plan is hopefully to do this every Wednesday. We felt Wednesday was the best day because once basketball season starts, Kentucky will be playing a lot of Tuesday games. We'll be able to talk about those Tuesday games. We'll be able to preview the Saturday games. As we are right now, we can preview the football games. So hopefully Wednesdays work out. And, Justin, talking about this podcast, it is strange because I keep saying and telling people you can listen to the podcast live. Well, you can't listen to a podcast live because that's just live radio at that point. But uh, we will post the, the the recorded version of this, which is will be a, a bona fide podcast on CatsIllustrated.com. Hope you all enjoy them. 
You can send in questions. Hopefully, we'll be able to kind of evolve this into something better as we go along. And I guess the first topic of conversation today, Justin, is some breaking football news on this Wednesday afternoon of Thaddeus Snodgrass leaving the program. What does that mean to Kentucky football? Well, it frees up another spot, and you hate to be a little bit callous about it at this point because, you know, you want to see a kid have a bright future. But I'm not shocked by this. You know, when there were a couple of exits from the program uh, a little while ago, there was a lot of speculation about who it was going to be. It turned out to be, you know, you know, it wasn't Snodgrass at the time, but it wouldn't have been a surprise. And that's not because of necessarily anything off the field. It's just that he hadn't really gotten into the rotation yet. This this meant that, that you know, he had a couple of years, and he really wasn't close to being at the level of some of those other 2014 guys. And I had heard you know, pretty well from the start that he needed to physically get stronger, but he also didn't quite understand when he got to Kentucky what was going to be required you know, to be a great SEC football player. So, you know, you, you got to wish him the best of luck, but at I don't think you were really expecting him to do anything over the over the the next couple of years. I mean, I, you you've heard the buzz around around the people that you you've spoken with. I don't think anybody was really getting too excited about what Snodgrass was was on the verge of, of kind of putting together. Am I, am I mistaken about that? No, you're not mistaken about that whatsoever. And and I think people haven't really had to worry about the wide receiver position uh, last year. Certainly not this year, but. Snodgrass, I, I just remember back, uh, Justin, when he committed to Kentucky back in the spring of 2013. That's when people started keying in on U.K. football recruiting. That's when it was sexy. That was when it was fun to follow U.K. football again. And he was just such a big name. He was an Ohio guy that had an impressive offer sheet for the most part. Uh, but my other question for you, Justin, is now you look at it, Kentucky has lost uh, Jaleel Heights. They've lost Hendricks, Croak, uh, Richardson. Is this concerning now that they've lost Snodgrass and they've lost so many guys since the Kentucky football season has started or since this summer? I don't think so. You know, I, I think if there were there was there was necessarily like a theme that was running through the departures, like like the program was having this or that problem in particular that spoke to a leadership crisis or maybe a structural issue, then I think that that it would be an issue. But frankly, a lot of these guys are just kind of weeding themselves out. I mean, those guys not realizing what it was going to take to play in the SEC. You know, they're not going to turn away the opportunity to play in the SEC. A lot of them, they're going to jump at it. But, you know, you give yourself a redshirt year, and then you get into the next season, and you see what all these other guys, some some of them lower rankings as recruits, were doing, and, and you see what guys even younger than you are doing in the program. you got to start thinking longer term, I think. And, and in most of those cases, Kentucky really wasn't losing so much. I think it was just kind of a natural attrition that, it plays out most places. I don't know what the numbers are like as far as the, the frequency or when attrition normally takes place, but I think it's, it's mostly just been guys that are that are realizing they were not going to be major contributors. And every you know, you're only going to hit on about half the guys that you sign. Only about half of the players that you sign at any point are going to be contributors. So attrition is really to be expected, I think. With this opening up a spot, like you mentioned. Kentucky's recruiting class, I don't know if I can ever remember a time where they've had so many guys committed this early on. I know last year was close to this, and you'd know obviously all this better than me, uh, but what is the latest with UK recruiting and, and being able to open up a spot here? How important is that for Kentucky? 
Well, it's kind of a trend. You know, they've had a couple of spots open up because of this attrition. I think early on in the class, the expectation was they were going to find 22 or 23, and, and I don't think it's going to be much higher than that, but I think it, it wouldn't be a surprise if you saw them sign, you know, close to a full class, which would be 25. And right now, the defensive line is still definitely the priority, but you've seen some other positions kind of tossed around. Maybe they take an offensive lineman. Maybe they take a receiver if they find the right one. I know they like a defensive back, Carlos Becker from down in Florida. I think the defensive line remains the priority, but if any numbers are opening up, then that gives the staff a little bit more flexibility to target best available, which is certainly not a bad thing, especially when you feel so good about all the guys that are committed and you know that all these coaching changes that are bound to happen, some of them already are happening, you know, it's going to open up a whole new pool of recruits that are maybe going to be looking for a new place. So the timing um, of these new spots popping open really, really coincides well with just, just kind of the actual flow of the calendar year. And this is the Caps Illustrated podcast here on 1450. I'm in Louisville. Justin's in, in Missouri, but we're going to be able to talk sports and hopefully uh, make this a tradition here on the Caps Illustrated podcast. We're going to talk some basketball later on in this podcast, but uh, – Football is kind of king right now. This is kind of a rare time where Big Blue Madness uh, comes and goes without all that much attention. I know a lot of Big Blue Nation was watching uh, on Friday night and and watching Drake's entrance of John Calipari. We'll talk more about that. But uh, football right now is the most popular sport in the bluegrass, at least for Kentucky fans. I know Auburn's loss on Thursday took a little air out of the, the sales. What did you make of that Auburn game, Justin? And uh, where is kind of the mood of this team in your best guess as they head into a tough road game in Starkville? Well, you know, interesting. I think the mood is probably – it's going to be more interesting to see how they respond to something like the loss of Melvin Lewis and, and maybe the the way that Matt Elam steps up. Just just that kind of dynamic I think is going to be more interesting as far as shaping the team's psyche. Um, as far as the game itself, the one thing that jumped out at me from the Auburn game was it was a little bit similar to the Florida game. You know, Kentucky's been right there all season, sometimes even when they when it, when it should have been a bigger margin. The games have just really been close. And the difference is in the two losses, there were just two units that Kentucky faced that were just overwhelming and just dominant, and Kentucky didn't have an answer for. And, I, and it was Florida's defensive line more than any other. But then Auburn's offensive line, I, I didn't think Kentucky dealt well with that. And I think that was a big storyline that, that, that maybe – push the game in their direction. What, did, did you think that Auburn's offensive line was maybe maybe more dominant than you expected going into that game? Or, or, or am I right in saying that that, that was probably the, the, the tipping point? Well, I noticed, and partially this could be because, be because of Melvin Lewis's injury, but I did notice Matt Elam playing a lot in that Auburn game. We'll talk a lot about Matt Elam, I would imagine, now that he's going to have to play a much bigger role. I didn't know when watching the game if it was just Kentucky's defensive line couldn't get a push because, one, maybe they were having an off game, two, because maybe it, it was those plays that Matt Elam was in that I was noticing more than others, and, and maybe it was a sign of concerning things regarding Elam. Uh, but, no, I definitely noticed that uh, Auburn's offensive line was having their way with Kentucky's. It surprised me a bit. Uh, I, I didn't really know what all to make of Auburn's offense. Obviously, they've lost – uh, losing Duke Williams was going to change things. We didn't know exactly what quarterback was going to come in. I guess we probably should have known that they were going to have a steady offensive line. But uh, Kentucky got no push, really, regardless of who was in. And, and that was concerning, without a doubt. Was it 
what's your take on Matt Elam heading? You know, does he have to be a, the the high big name recruit that Alabama desperately wanted for Kentucky's defensive line to actually make a difference, or is it okay if he still learns as he goes? How you know how much does he actually need to step up this week? Well, he's got. I think he's got to be really good. I think I think you've got to see the good version of him for Kentucky to have success against Mississippi State because. Uh, you know, this is a Mississippi State team that did not run the ball well against LSU and against Auburn. I think they ran for, for under 60 yards against both of those teams, in, in each of those games, under 60 yards. And I think against Texas A&M, they showed that they can't, I mean, Texas A&M defense certainly has not been great for the entire season, but they rushed for close to 200 yards in that game. And Kentucky's run defense actually shown at times that they could be better than I, than I thought they were going to be. And certainly Big Melvin Lewis was a big reason for that. Elam, you know, whether he plays at that level or not, that kind of consistency or not, he's got to make some plays. You know, he's, he's got to stand some guys up in the backfield. He's got to take up multiple blockers consistently. He's got to get enough of a push that you're forcing that run outside. You know, one of the things about the, the running game in today's game is defenses are really taken away between the tackle running in a lot of cases. And, and Kentucky can't give that up because Prescott – the way that he runs and the way that Mullins calls the running game, so sort of similar to Auburn in some respects, they're going to they're probably make a little bit of headway outside the tackles. Kentucky's really got to swallow up that stuff inside. And it will be really interesting to see. You think Auburn's pace of play was a factor for Kentucky? It, it seemed like DJ Elliott and the Caps came out not expecting that to be the case, which that is Gus Malzahn's calling card. So I was surprised to see them so winded, which that can happen to any team if you allow them to have long sustained drives, which they did certainly several times to start the game. Uh, but do you think maybe that was part of the reason Kentucky's defensive line struggled? Obviously, you know, we're not going to take anything away from Auburn's offensive line, but that kind of stood out to me as maybe concerning play, not play calling, but game preparation uh, that, that went into that game. Now, Kentucky, you got to give them all the credit in the world, the way they came out and adjusted in the second half. But I was shocked with the approach they came out trying to defend Auburn to start the game. Yeah, you know, as I think Stoops talked about struggling with the pace as well, but I don't, I don't want to say that. I, I don't want to say that I think that that's a little bit of a cop out, but that I think that's the kind of thing that a coach kind of fixates on because it may be a little easier to fix. Um, you know, going into that game, people were asking me, as, uh, as I'm sure they were asking you, how, how you saw the game playing out, and and my answer was, I didn't understand why Auburn was the favorite because they were going on the road without a quarterback we thought, in the SEC, and their defense was pretty bad, and it was a team that didn't really have clear leadership, and they were kind of second-guessing themselves. And then you had Duke Williams issue and all that. It's like, why is Auburn favored in this game? And the first play that Auburn had from scrimmage, their quarterback, Sean White, just totally missed on an easy screen to the outside. And everybody's probably like, okay, here we go. And in the next play, I realized immediately why Auburn was the favorite. Kentucky sent like seven or eight guys after the quarterback, kind of feeling him out, and Auburn's offensive line just, just stonewalled them. Every single defender that blitzed was just stood up at the line of scrimmage. And that's such a big part of what D.J. Elliott does on defense. That if, they, if, they, if you can do that, if you have an offensive line that just picks guys up like that, it totally changes the dynamic. And that's why I thought the offensive line was maybe a lot more significant than, than the pace, but I don't think the coaches want to talk about that as much because you can't really do as much about that. 
No, you can't. And I, I, I love DJ Elliott's style. It's refreshing from the Rick Minter days of Kentucky fans that weren't so long ago, even the Steve Brown days that UK fans can relate to. I like that they send pressure. It's more fun to watch, and I think it's been pretty effective for Kentucky's defense uh, this year. Another thing you mentioned is the, with the Florida and Auburn game, obviously two, Kentucky's two losses is both those games, you can tell me if I'm wrong, it just there was such a positive vibe around Kentucky football. Kentucky was ha, had a winning streak going into both of them. Obviously, the Auburn one was a Eastern Kentucky win, which and a Missouri win, which you know you, you take away from that what you can. But there's positive feelings, there's positive vibes. I think a lot of people felt that Kentucky was going to win both those games. Commonwealth Stadium was as loud as you know you've you've ever heard it. Uh, the fans were as excited about those games as possible. Do you think that maybe the big stage got to him? Because it certainly seemed that way to me. And I know Patrick Tolles this week was saying he almost prefers to play on the road because there's not as much pressure. Yeah, I don't, that's an interesting question. And it's interesting that Tolles would say that because, I mean, how many road games have they played this year? You know, I think they played well at South Carolina, but I don't think the road-home dynamic has been all that different. I, I, I think, frankly, um, if we're expecting Kentucky to win those games, then we're probably um, – it's not that fans shouldn't expect them to win those games, but they're not good enough to win all of those games. You know, there's there's a huge difference between being good enough to play everybody close and being good enough to win all six of those games that are decided by whatever they're decided by. You know, that's a, that's a monumental difference. It's kind of like when Kentucky was 38 and 0 in basketball last year. I was less impressed by the fact that they had beaten the five best teams that they had beaten than the fact that they hadn't lost one of the 33 others. And, you know, so I think that Kentucky fans are probably not, you know, really used to seeing Kentucky go on the road and beat South Carolina and then beat two-time defending East Champ Missouri. And so maybe the expectations get a little bit outsized. Well, the other team still has really good players as well. Um, did, did you feel like that, that they came out a little bit tight in either one of those games? I, I thought maybe that maybe they kind of shot themselves in the foot against Florida, but I think Auburn was really more of a case converting those five or six, you know, first down plays on third down the first couple of drives. I, I thought that that was maybe a little bit more sobering um, in, in terms of how I read it. And Auburn was a, a team that desperately needed that win. Kentucky needed it too maybe not as desperate as Auburn going into that game. And you probably give the coaching advantage uh, slightly to Auburn. And they won a close game. Kentucky was in it. They had two chances to win in their two losses with a minute to go in both of them driving in both those games and came up short in four games uh, or four other games this season. They didn't come up short. They were able to win them. Now the attention turns to Mississippi State. That's a tough place to win in Starkville. I couldn't believe their record over the last four years, Justin. I think they've only had four losses. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that as well, and I was, I was surprised by it a little bit. And, and I think if you look closer, one of the things it reveals is how stark the division is in the SEC between the haves and the have-nots. And, and that's changed maybe a little bit with Missouri kind of flying above expectations, but there's a big difference between beating a top-half SEC team and beating a bottom-half SEC team. And James Franklin and Vanderbilt saw this as they were winning seven, eight games and, and shocking everybody. I don't think not one win by that Vanderbilt program in, in their kind of glory days in the modern period, not one win jumps out as, wow, I can't believe they won that game. Um, so I think those losses that Mississippi State has had at home 
were probably not not terrible losses, but but a lot of those wins probably aren't you know the greatest wins. I think the last couple of years and maybe last year was really the aberration when they won some of those breakthrough games that that they hadn't won in the past. But going on the road in that atmosphere is certainly going to be difficult. And uh, and you know everybody talks about the cowbell. Um, this Kentucky team responded well on the road at South Carolina. We, we really can't say that that was a great win at this point because we know too much about South Carolina. Um, and what, what do you? And this is just a little bit off the cuff, but what do you think makes Mississippi State maybe a tough road game? Because it's not one of the bigger stadiums in the SEC. It's not one of the. It's not maybe one of the more imposing atmospheres. Do you think that, that there might be something to just this team make up there with Dak Prescott and, and the program? And what, what do you what do you attribute that to? I don't know, because I was going to say the same thing, and, and I would probably put the cowbell as maybe the most annoying thing in the SEC. It's right up there with Rocky Top for me. I don't know which one's worse off the top of my head. But I, I covered that game down there two years ago. I think it was a Thursday night game. The crowd was terrible, and that was an okay Mississippi State team. It was a bad Kentucky team, but fans weren't excited about it, and it wasn't an overly loud atmosphere. It was a game that really Kentucky probably should have won, certainly had a chance to win. Uh, but I wasn't overly impressed, and it makes you wonder, Justin, because Mississippi State has dominated Kentucky in this series over the past few years. Uh, what is it, six straight that they've won, where this used to be a very competitive series? And what I've always said, if Kentucky football wants to be competitive in the SEC, they've got to get this series back to almost a coin flip every year. And I don't think it's at it. I don't think it's at a coin flip this year. It's getting closer. But I don't know exactly what it is. I, I don't know if it's maybe just Dan Mullen has Kentucky's number. I don't know if they just can't figure out a way to beat Dak Prescott. Uh, it, it could be a combination of both those things. Kentucky struggles against athletic quarterbacks, and Dak Prescott probably the best quarterback in the SEC. He's smart. He's experienced. He knows how to make plays. If for some reason he were to have a poor game or a bad game against Kentucky, I really would like Kentucky's chances. I just don't know if there's any reason to think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I'm right with you on that. You know, I, I wrote a piece on our site this morning that kind of the numbers, just the raw numbers, make it seem like this game is not like a, a 10.2 touchdown, you know, Mississippi State favorite kind of game. It's a little bit surprising, but then you you got to look at everything else. You know, you got to look at the fact that if this game is in the fourth quarter and it's close, and there are, there are reasons to believe it's going to be close in the fourth quarter because that's who's, who Kentucky's been all year. It was a close game last year in Commonwealth. And Mississippi State's not that good, and Kentucky's even better. But Prescott is just so good in the fourth quarter. And Mullen seems to find a way, every time Kentucky has had momentum against him in the third and fourth quarter, he just knows what buttons to press. And, and Prescott, more than any quarterback he's had, when, when there's a third and four and they're up by seven, and you got to get a stop to get the ball back, he just finds a way to get that first down. And then, you know, he just doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't, hasn't thrown one interception this year, and he's thrown more pass attempts than any quarterback in the country without an interception. I think Kentucky really has to be ahead in the fourth quarter to have a chance. I think if this game is tied or if it's a slight lead for Mississippi State in the fourth quarter, it's very difficult because they're really good at running the clock out at getting first downs and kind of imposing their will late in the game. Well, Kentucky, you know, Patrick Tolles better be careful what he asked for because he's going to get a road game, and I think fans are going to expect him to look sharp. And to his credit, I, I think he's played fairly well. You know, he, he may have uh, made some, some poor decisions against Auburn. I don't think anybody would place that blame on him. But 
you look at that game last year, and you can't always pinpoint games from one season to the next, but that was a game where Mississippi State was number one. It was a CBS game. It was a, a great Commonwealth Stadium environment there. And Kentucky was able to score all over Mississippi State. That was a, a game where they had a really difficult time slowing down Patrick Tolles both through the air and on the ground. But Kentucky just couldn't get a stop. It was one of the worst tackling displays I could ever remember from a U.K. football game. Uh, now it's going to kind of be a different type of setup here. I, I think Kentucky will be able to slow down Mississippi State, but will UK be able to score on the Bulldogs like they were last year in Commonwealth Stadium? Yeah, and being on the road, I think it's going to come down like we've talked about all year to the protection up front. The offensive line is going to have to first and foremost block Mississippi State because if they tee off and they and they can get get after him, and it's going to be a very very long day. You know, I thought the Mississippi State game last year was Patrick Toll's best game. You know, we talk about the Florida game. I actually didn't think he played that well in the swamp. He made a ton of dangerous passes, and frankly. He isolated some pretty weak and bad safety coverage on those two touch, two long touchdown passes to Garrett Johnson. Um, I thought he played phenomenal against Mississippi State last year, and and it's just going to be whether they can block him up front. And it's not a defense that when they're good, it's because they've got overwhelming talent like Alabama or to a lesser extent LSU. It's a defense that's very physical, that's fundamentally sound, that plays assignments, um, and, and they kind of force you to make mistakes. And, you know, that, that's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line holds up up front. I think on the road, um, certainly they're going to throw a lot of pressure at him because that's when he has not been at his best. Uh, what, what do you expect from Tolls this weekend? Do you, do you expect him to have one of his better games or to continue his progression, or do you think it's going to be, it's going to be a long day for him? I don't imagine it being a long day for him. I, I, I can't imagine a scenario where – that's the case because it seems like when he, you know, this might sound cliche or corny, but when he puts his mind to having a big game, he finds ways to make it happen. And, and I do believe some of what he was saying about the pressure of playing in stadium with him being a Kentucky guy and so many fans having expectations for him. And you've also got Drew Barker there. And anytime there's a bad throw, there's a gasp in the crowd. I do believe a little bit what he's saying about playing on the road. And I think he's going to rise to the occasion. I'm not saying he's going to have, uh, you know, throw for over 350 yards and rush for 150 yards. I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to have a huge game. But if Kentucky loses, I can't. I don't think this would be Toll's fault. So I imagine him to play well enough to put Kentucky in a position to win. We'll just have to see exactly what that means. But uh, I, you know, it, I think you'll be able to tell early on, Justin. Now the first possession, maybe he struggles maybe it takes some time to get adjusted but I think by the end of the first quarter or the second quarter you'll be able to know okay well Kentucky's going to be competitive in this game and they're going to have a shot to win it or you'll say eh Mississippi State's just the better team and this one might be a uh, a long second half so we'll have to see I guess all that's left to do we're going to talk a little basketball but all that's left to do with the football version of this Cats Illustrated podcast is give some predictions for Saturday. Yeah, right now it's, it's tough for me to pick, to pick Kentucky in this game just because of Mississippi State's home record and the fact that Prescott is such a, is such a winner. You know, if, if I'm looking at it as, as objectively as I can, I, I'm going to say Mississippi State's going to win 34-24. to probably going to be a lot of moments where Kentucky fans want to bang their head against the wall because, you know, I, he's just so hard to stop. Prescott's so hard to stop when he, when he has to do this or that in the fourth quarter. And, and those were really the moments against Auburn when Kentucky struggled. And, and what's your pick? Do you see something similar playing out? 
you almost took the words out of my mouth, and the only thing you didn't take was my prediction, although you were close. I was thinking 35-24 Mississippi State right around the line, and I, I do expect it a game where you, you, you hear 35-24, and that, can be, that could be a blowout in some senses. I imagine it being you know 28-24, Kentucky desperately needing to get a stop, and Dak Prescott does his Dak Prescott thing and finds a way to score a touchdown late to kind of put the game out of touch and, and out of reach, but... I imagine it'll be close, and I imagine it'll be one of those games where it ends, and you'll, if you're a Kentucky fan, you'll be proud, but you'll be saying the same thing you've said in the Florida loss and the Auburn loss. You'll, you'll say, oh, man, we're, we're so close, but not there just quite yet. And uh, the schedule's going to get tougher for Kentucky, and, and this is one of those tough road games. So uh, being competitive, I think, would go a long way, and if you can find a way to sneak out a win, uh, you know, so be it. But, uh, Justin, there was Big Blue Madness last Friday. Uh, it seems like the basketball portion of Big Blue Madness is uh, smaller and smaller each year where you can actually take anything away from the scrimmage. Uh, but let's let's try to take something away. Is there anything you saw that was promising for Kentucky or maybe concerning for UK? Yeah, yeah, the promising stuff, um, I think there's plenty of it. And, and not just entirely from Big Blue Madness, but from everything that we've known and, and from what we've gleaned from, from all the opportunities that there have been. I think Jamal Murray is obviously a lot better than, than people anticipated. Most people, even people that follow this closely, I think Jamal Murray is going gonna, is gonna to prove to be a lot better than they've anticipated. I think, uh, I think Marcus Lee certainly looks like he's, he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's, he's, he's not hesitating offensively. It looks like he's, he's, he's playing with, with a lot more pep in his step, and he's not going to hesitate as much when he's got opportunities to score. I certainly thought that that was – that was very promising. I thought I thought Ulis uh, showed you know he's ready to step up and and maybe be less of a complimentary piece. And you know he's always had the leadership and intangibles, but I think that, that just in terms of playmaking ability, he's he's right there and prepared to do something big. And you know Cal Perry just talks so much about how good he feels about those guards. You know when he talks that much about something positively, there's usually something to it. And so I think the guard play, especially especially Murray, Murray is just really probably the one guy that jumps off the page of me. Did you take that away as well? Well, I've been, and I've said that, uh, I've said that in the old days of the Cats Illustrated podcast with Brett Dawson, now that he's in New Orleans and on this radio show, that I have been higher on Jamal Murray than anybody. Just I'm glad people are jumping on the train. I, I don't like to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I, uh, I'm happy people are figuring out he's going to be probably a top 10 pick, maybe even higher than that. He's going to have a hell of a year. But there's only so much you can take away from what we've seen. You had the open practice, like you mentioned, and kind of to uh, to to you leading with your guard play is going to be strong for Kentucky. I'll go a step further and just specifically talk about three-point shooting. That will not be an issue for UK one bit. And that's one thing you can take away from these scrimmages and Big Blue Madness is whether it's Jamal Murray, whether it's Tyler Ulis, whoever it may be, uh, there is made three after made three with people in their face and uh, so that won't be an issue. Now, one thing I would be concerned about, I'm curious to hear what you, what your thoughts on this is, I don't know if you're going to have a Carl Anthony Towns or an Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins back to the basket, bruiser type score. You know how much John Calipari likes to just throw it on the block in crunch time in very important times to give it to his best player and let him bang, maybe get fouled, find a way to finish. I don't know if Scalabissier, and I, I think he's unbelievably talented. I think he should probably be the number one pick in the draft. But he just seems to be such a face-up guy. I don't know if he can convert in that back-to-the-basket 
high percentage bank shot right underneath the rim. Yeah, man, that, that's a, absolutely a valid fear, and I think part of it is just may, maybe the fear aspect comes in because Kentucky's been so really embarrassingly blessed with guys that are able to do that, especially as the season has gone on. And some of that is his strength, and some of that is his game, and, and the way that he's developed uniquely because of his circumstances recently. But I think also some of that speaks to another concern, which is maybe just the killer instinct that this team is going to have. Not just not just the mentality or, or the ability of a guy to go back to the basket. Like, is this team going to have that grinder mentality? And I think it's going to have to be born in this group. I don't think it's kind of innate. There are certain guys on the team that have that killer instinct, that have that, you know, we're going to step on this guy's throat, you know, when we've got him down by six on the road late. But, you know, you, if you look at the makeup, you've got youth, You've got Scal, who, who maybe is not necessarily that kind of offensive player. You've got somebody coming back from an injury who needs to give you that kind of leadership, that senior leadership that, that's there in crunch time. But he certainly looked a little bit timid coming back, and he's never been known for that kind of consistent, kind of dominant alpha male mentality. I think, I think there's something to what you're saying, and I think it's part of a broader narrative of what kind of killer instinct, or if they're going to have a killer instinct at all. And maybe how that's going to develop on, on a linear pattern as the season goes on. I mean, do you, just just beyond that, back to the basket kind of tough grinder down low. Do you think that that's a concern? Just the mentality that the guy's going to have. Um, and, and and another aspect of that would be Briscoe. You know, the reason he wanted to put Briscoe on the other team was because he's deferred too much to Ulysses and, and other aspects. I mean, just just one or two guys that are they're going to go out there and just just kind of take the bull by the horns. Do you see that? Yeah, Calipari made a comment saying he was worried about the toughness of this team and that killer instinct that you're talking about, which is really concerning to me because that I don't know if that's something that should be taught. I think that's something that teams should just have. And it's weird, especially with Briscoe, because he was voted the biggest trash talker. But he has gone into uh, – he has done a complete 180. It's like they took him back in Frankenstein's lab and messed with his – brain and gave him a lobotomy because now he's just the most calm mellow dude out there when in high school he was talking trash to everybody but that is certainly a, a concern toughness on this team and I know a lot of our listeners and subscribers Justin are going to tell me that Anthony Davis and even Carl Anthony Towns they weren't quite the back to the basket centers that they were at the end of the year and that Scalabissier can follow that same path and get better I know he'll get better I just his frame. I don't know if he'll ever be strong enough to be able to just bang with guys that are bigger with him on the block. And you know, maybe I'm maybe I'll be wrong. And if I'm wrong, then watch out. Without a doubt, this should be the number one pick and maybe one of the better players to ever play for John Calipari. But he just seems to be more of a face-up guy. And I guess last question before we've got to end our first edition of this new era of Cats Illustrated podcast is. What's your guess on his eligibility? John Calipari hasn't wanted to touch on this question a lot. He even got a little feisty at UK Media Days when Jerry Tipton was kind of probing him about it. What, what's your best guess with this Lebissier situation? I mean, I think that they've been pretty upfront. The expectation is that he's going to be able to play. The expectation is that that it won't be an issue once the season starts, that he's not going to miss time. I think he said that. Calipari recently just quoted as saying he's not worried about it. I think you would see them start hedging their bets rather publicly if they really believed that it was in the danger zone and we were in a danger territory. You know, certainly you worry a little bit until until the issue has cleared, but but I, I think that you can read a little bit into what they're actually saying at this point. Uh, maybe you can read into the agitation a little bit if you're if you're looking for skepticism. 
Um, but until they start voicing, hey, we're not sure if he's going to be ready by this and this time, or maybe even a little agitation towards the NCAA, I wouldn't read too much into it beyond that. So, so no, I, I wouldn't speculate in a negative direction. Have you, have you read, have you had a different read on that? I've, I've been the most probably optimistic person in the media about uh, LeBissier's eligibility. I know Kentucky is incredibly confident about it. But maybe I'm reading too much into it, and maybe John Calipari is just messing with the media. But what he told Andy Katz at UK Media today, here's the quote. He goes on talking about how a lot of kids aren't cleared, and that is true. But he says, uh, we're feeling good, he's feeling good, and we're going to play that first game, and we'll see if he's out there, is what he was insinuating there. Uh, so he, it seems like he's not as confident as he was. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. My guess is he'll be okay. Uh, but again, we'll just we'll all have to wait and see. He's a huge part of this Kentucky basketball team, and uh, they they certainly need him. I think he'll be okay, though. That would be my guess. But we're out of time for this first edition of this Cats Illustrated podcast. I appreciate you all listening. Join us next week live Wednesday at 4:20, 4:25. If you can't join us live, catch the podcast CatsIllustrated.com. Listen to it anytime at your convenience. Justin, thanks for joining us, and we'll do this again next week. Excited. Thanks, man. All righty, Justin Rowland, the publisher of CatsIllustrated.com. It was fun that it's fun that I didn't really have to host that. It was a nice back and forth. We're gonna head to a commercial break here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll come back and it'll be the sports talker. It'll be me. It'll be Trevor, and we we'll, we'll talk about stupid stuff. I promise you. If you're missing that, uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think with flying things. On 1450, the Sports Buzz. We're back on a Back to the Future version of the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. And we'll be back to our regular programming, the Cats Illustrated podcast. We will put a cap in it. It's over. We're back, Trevor. It's just uh, you and me, buddy. Yay. Now, did you take anything away from the Cats Illustrated podcast? you learn anything about the Cats? Um, I was watching the Blue Jay game. Blue Jays rocking and rolling, baby. Up one nothing. Yes, right. Uh, I did listen to a little bit. Uh, I kind of zoned out during the basketball because I was reading something at the very end. But I did catch it. Uh, I was listening mostly during the football part. Uh, was kind of intrigued by the home field advantage of Mississippi State. I was more intrigued by the fact that y'all were shocked at their home field advantage. I mean, I I don't know how much of a shock it could be. I mean, it's, it's the Bulldogs. Mississippi's a pretty rowdy crowd. I can understand where you'd have a home field advantage over that despite – the annoyance of cowbell sounds. I, I no, I don't think anybody said we'd be shocked if it was a good environment. We were saying we were shocked that the last few times Kentucky's played down there, it hasn't been a good environment. In terms of That's Kentucky what, winning, you mean? No, about the crowd environment. It oh. hasn't been a good environment. The atmosphere hasn't been that good. I don't know why. That's that's what we're shocked about. You you think it would be because Mississippi State's been good, and it hasn't been the last few times Kentucky's played down there. It just hasn't been all that raucous. Uh, 55,000 fans, it's not the biggest stadium Kentucky will play in. 
I would expect kind of small yeah. for an SEC too, especially for Mississippi State. Oh yeah, I would guess that's maybe second smallest in the SEC. I would imagine Vanderbilt maybe being the only smaller one. Vanderbilt's got to be the smallest. There's no, yep. there's no way they're not the smallest. Yeah, I'm sure they probably are. After that, uh, yeah, it's got to maybe, maybe I'm, Arkansas is up there. Maybe Ole Miss is up there, but I would imagine Mississippi State's number two. Uh, but. I would imagine the atmosphere is going to be pretty good on Saturday night. It's a, it's a night game. Mississippi State's having maybe a better season than people expected. I'm not 100% sure what the expectations were. I think last in the SEC West, which that's not saying all that much because the West, SEC West is just re, ridiculous. But 5-2 and two with two losses that were, one, a very, very close loss to LSU, one they probably should have won, and then the other one at Texas A&M, a game they kind of let slip away. So – uh, I don't know exactly what the, uh, their expectations are, but I would imagine the atmosphere will be very good on Saturday night, and the Cowbells will be a rocking. I'm I'm sure knowing probably the craziness of Mississippi State fans' expectations are probably nowhere always fall short, no matter uh, of what their fans' expectations are. If they I haven't mean, won, I, if they haven't won 20 straight national titles, their expectations have fallen short. Our Trevor, I appreciate texting to the show. I, I love them, but no text more over the last few days have been have been uh they've been at they want to hear the ghost story they want to hear what i'm talking about with the ghost i even had somebody threaten to call in if i wouldn't talk about it and i haven't been trying to ignore it but yesterday obviously we were preoccupied with louisville news and then today uh you know we had to do the cats illustrated podcast so i will tell this story and you i don't know if i believe in ghosts i i've gone back and forth I, you know, I, I would guess through grade school and high school and college, I probably would. But then after I got out of college, I wasn't so sure. I probably, probably not. Uh, so I don't know really where I stand, but I think I, you know. And I don't believe after, in ghosts, so. After what happened the last, what what happened Monday night, I think I'm changing. I, I'm back to ghosts are real. I'm hopping back on that train because uh, it was just pure craziness. So let me, let me give you a rundown. I sleep with an air conditioner on every night, but it's getting kind of cold. So I didn't have it on Monday night. And if I don't have the air conditioner on, I can hear everything. If, if Charlie farts in his room, I usually hear it. Uh, I don't know if the walls are thin or what the deal is, but I'm upstairs. He's downstairs. So if I don't have the air conditioner on, I can hear everything. So I watch Monday night football. I go to bed, have no problem falling asleep. I'm exhausted. Uh, After striking out four times in uh, softball. Struck out one time. He did that's struck out once. <laughs> uh, that's a different story. But I, hey, I scored our team's first run, so right. um, that's that's a different story. So I have no problem falling asleep, thinking I'm going to have a great night's sleep. Wake up around two thirty, which if you've ever seen a scary movie, everything bad happens between two thirty and four, usually around the three o'clock hour, but sometimes in the two thirty, around two thirty. You've been watching so one wake, too many paranormal paranormal activity movies. So I wake up because I heard. A door opened, which if Charlie opens his door downstairs, I'll hear it. So, okay, no big deal. Are you a light sleeper, by the way? I am a very, very light sleeper. Okay. Incredibly light. So, uh, then I hear Abe's got a little collar on him, so it jingles and jangles. <laughs> then I, I hear a little jingling and jangling running through the house. And, and he runs around like a deer. The way Abe runs, he just like prances and it's all paws and nails. And we got the new hardwood floors there. So, you know, I, I hear him running around. Then I hear another door open and then the jingling and jangling stop. And then I hear a door open and I don't really hear the jingling and jangling all that much again, but I heard something and I figure, okay, well, maybe Abe was whining, had to go to the bathroom. Abe's my dog, if you don't know. 
and maybe my roommate Charlie let him out. That, that would be nice of him. That's not really Charlie's cup of tea to, to do that at 2.30 in the morning, but uh, maybe that was the case. Charlie's more likely to let Abe uh, drop one on the floor that you clean it up the next morning. But still weird. I also have a motion light outside in my backyard. And my, my room upstairs is the entire second floor, so I've got a window that looks out to my backyard. I saw the motion light come on. Well, you know, the the next day, or, and later that night, there's a lot more noises. There was there was footsteps. There was other doors opening because our doors are so loud for some reason in this house. And it's an old house. It's in St. Matthews. No idea why the doors are so loud opening, but I heard a few other of those things. It just wasn't a good night's sleep. Woke up several times and, you know, talked to Charlie the next morning. And before me, I even say anything. He's like, did you hear stuff last night? He's like, there were so many loud noises. And I was like, oh, man, I was going to ask you about that. And I was like, I heard you heard you let Abe outside. He's like, oh, I didn't let Abe out. What are you talking about? So, Trevor, I mean, what you know, what is the what what's the scenario there? What what is the possible what's the possibility of how I heard my dog out running around when I put him in his cage for bed every night? Was he in your cage? Was he in the cage when you woke up? Oh, yeah. All the doors locked. He was in his cage. No issues. No problems. Happy as could be. And are you sure it was him you heard? You couldn't maybe be, I don't know, dreaming? I definitely wasn't dreaming. But, you know, there's always, and that's the thing about ghosts, is there's always that other scenario of, well, maybe you didn't hear that. Maybe you heard something else. Maybe you thought you heard that. Well, this was something pretty specific. And and Charlie said he wasn't sure if he heard jingling and jangling, but he did hear some, something running around, and he heard a noise. He heard a noise that he thought was an animal. So... Which quite possibly could have been. I mean, there's all kinds of possums and raccoons. Oh, stop. And and he he heard doors shutting and opening all night. So I'm convinced. And even when I'm here just during the day, doing work throughout the day, there'll be be noises. And old houses make noises, but not noises like somebody jumping up and down or something along those lines. And Abe hates it. He freaks out. Anytime he hears a noise, he just starts barking. And not to be, and not to leave this part out, but there are several times where he just starts barking at a wall, which, okay, he's a dog and he's maybe not the smartest dog in the world. I love him to death, but he just starts barking at random things that there's nothing there. So I'm fully convinced this house is haunted. Now, nothing has been malicious. It's not like, you know, I've got any cuts or scratch or bruises on me. Uh, but there's something going on here, Trevor. I'm assuming, uh, so you haven't walked downstairs one day and found all your furniture stacked up in the corner of the room. Haven't, haven't had that happen. Haven't had all the drawers and cabinets open up on me, uh, but it is kind of, the did, more did I you think open about up, it. Did you open the fridge and there was a beast in there that yelled, I'm ghoul? No, no. Uh, did eggs start cooking on your counter? Nope, that hasn't happened. Okay. So, are these ghost things? Is that stuff that happens? This is, that's Ghostbusters, by the way. Okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> none of that's happened. It's Gordy Weaver coming to your kitchen. Are but you, are you lo- the gatekeeper? I, I love scary movies. I watch them uh, almost religiously through Halloween uh, in October. So, I've been watching a ton. May, you know, it could all be in my head. I don't know. Rob Blackhawk tweets in and says, are the spiders big enough to open doors? And we've also got a terrible spider infestation in our house, too. I hate spiders. And I know this is this is kind of the time of year where spiders try to make their way inside to get to warmer places so they can live throughout the winter. Screw but, them. I mean, we're, battle them. Let, let them die outside. We are finding spiders that 
I, Abe could ride on if he wanted to. I mean, these <laughs> well, things are I don't, huge. Not that big. Your dog's a pretty good sized dog. These I... things are huge. Uh, obviously, they're not really that big, but I mean, they we had one of them that we found was probably the size of a half dollar or a fairly decent sized quarter. Was it a pregnant spider? Fairly decent sized quarter. All quarters are the same. I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> no. No, and we use nuclear warfare to kill these spiders. We just spray it. We we gas them with raid. We don't even stomp on them because they're so big that they'd get our they bloody up our shoes. So, uh, I you know, I I'm, I may have to move, Trevor. You got room at the house for me? I, I do have a guest room for you. Uh, it's my house is not haunted. I've my family has owned the house since it was built, so there was no uh, horrific uh, murders that took place before uh, I moved in or anything like that. Uh, do you know the history of your house? I mean, did the don't people... know the history. Now, when the ceiling fell down, like I told you about, uh, we did find some liquor bottles up there. I don't know if you know. Maybe there's somebody here that had <laughs> what a drinking. Was well, how old were they? How old were they? Did, did you find 19, like a... 1954? I think 1954, 1956. It was a. Uh, I've got it upstairs. I kept the liquor bottle. I want to. I'd love to see that. Beer That's cans too. Was it like some yeah, Jimmy it... Carter beer? Like that kind of like that old? I threw away the beer because you couldn't really read them because they had. They had gotten so old, but the bottle were they unopened? No, the beers were open. Okay, I didn't know if you found like a six pack unopened. And I think we only found one beer can, but we found a bottle of uh, liquor. Might have been a bottle of wine. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, I I kept the bottle just to remind me of how terrible that day was when my ceiling fell down on me. But that could have been uh, sign one that someone wanted you out of that house, though. And I've got all these little weird doors in my basement, and. just like weird cabinets that you'd never put anything in, and I don't know. Yeah, but I'm, I've I've seen your base. I've not seen your entire house, but I have seen your basement, and that's the, the, those weird cabinets were put there by apparently a short family that owned the house before you that didn't have anyone in their household living there over the height of six foot one or six foot probably. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean they're like really small. It's like like if Stuart Little wanted to. <laughs> to have his own little door they're just small i don't know Something are you saying ghosts are small i'll 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 maybe they are small maybe they're a little maybe they're a little kitty ghost would you like know. to have an exorcism uh, but i'll i'll keep everybody updated on this ghost story as it develops because i know you guys are so intrigued by it uh, but something certainly is up in i think the you south. should stop watching michael meyer marathons before you go to bed is what i think probably did you eat any chocolate before you went to bed uh on monday no because chocolate, no. if you eat chocolate before you go to bed, it's supposed to give you nightmares. Oh, and I have, I have nightmares all the time. I'm, well, this is. I'm living one right this. now. We we can we can we can save this for a different day. I actually like having bad dreams. They're kind of fun to me. You it's like fun. having bad yeah. dreams? Yeah, it, it yeah. That makes kinda. no sense whatsoever. It's like, like it's I like, like having. I, I like cutting myself. I mean, come on. I mean, that's not no. No one likes bad dreams. No, that's not like that at all. I, I had a really creepy one the other night. There's, there's sometimes they're so creatively creepy. I enjoy them. Do you, do now, you, other times I've go on. I was gonna say, how often do you remember? I mean, because it's very rare that someone remembers what they dreamt. I mean, I, there are some dreams I've had. I still actually remember a nightmare I had when I was a kid. A couple of them that I've never forgotten. But more often than not, I mean, you're not gonna, you're gonna dream hundreds of things in a night, but you're not gonna wake up and remember any of it. Well, I uh, I remember a lot of dreams. I could tell you the scary one I had the other night. I've also have I've had night terrors where I've woken up just yelling in the middle of the night. Those aren't fun. No, I don't have that. Uh, those aren't fun. But uh, no, I remember my dreams. But anyways, Trevor, we were in a pretty lively U of L debate before we had to bring Justin Rowland on from Cats Illustrated. 
Do you want to revisit that? I'll go right ahead. Put it to rest. No, Blue Jays are up one nothing. You've got my attention. I've got your attention. Yeah, I, I trust me. I'd rather talk to you than watch iPad guy on the uh, on Fox on Fox uh, coverage. I did. I, I was thinking about over that commercial break at the five o'clock hour how to rephrase why I should think Patino should resign because again, I don't want. I it's not me pointing my finger at him with a pitchfork in my other hand saying he <laughs> needs to resign. That's not what I mean by that. If he was 40 years old, if he was 50 years old, I'd say, okay, don't resign. You know what? You don't need to. That's age discrimination, TJ. (laughs) It is. Don't you know that the old, while maybe uh, dangerous behind the wheel, are still useful? Just ask Lloyd Christmas. (laughs) There's there's an office where they talk about age discrimination. Uh, which is pretty funny. So they bring so, in one of the, doesn't he attack they, like Phyllis? And she's like, we went to high school together, Michael. And he's, he gets mad about that. Yeah, yeah, he does. And then they bring in the founder of uh, Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. And then <laughs> and they, he, he starts talking about nonsense, and Michael gets upset and makes him get a cab home. Just throws him out, yeah. he does. <laughs> I think Pam ends up giving him a ride. But, uh, I do no, remember but that. In all seriousness, if he was younger – then I would say, okay, weather the storm. It's going to take some years, but go on and and you can stay there. The only reason I'm saying he needs to resign is, one, it would look good for the NCAA if you're UofL. It would make a statement with the NCAA if UofL said, okay, we're going to move on. from, We're going to change directions. We're going to switch things up. Look at what we're doing here. Two, he's 63 years old, Trevor. He's not Even if this never happened, even if this situation never Took place. He wasn't going to coach five more years. I don't care what his stupid contract says. He wasn't going to coach five more years. I would. I don't even know if he would have coached three more years. So you've got a, a, an older coach who's on his way out to begin with. Just start over. Start the program new. I'm not saying this because I think Patino should be blamed for this. Now, but, but by, your, by your said, argument, you're saying you should let him go regardless whether it's a scandal or not. Then. Well, no, because if there's no scandal, then you'd say, uh, no, whatever. Well, no, but you, you made by your argument, you're saying that he would be gone in three or four years regardless, so why not just get rid of him now, whether it was a scandal or not? Because if there was not a scandal, then there wouldn't be any questions of getting rid of him. But, it wouldn't be up for debate. But you're saying the reason he should go and resign as a result of the scandal is because he's only going to be here for three more years anyway. I mean, so if he if there's that, no— That's part of the reason, sure. Okay, so but, uh, I mean, another, take away uh, the scandal, major... then, then you're saying we should go and resign anyway. Whether there's a scandal or not, he's only going to be here three more years. So go and resign now. Trevor, that's silly. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, just making sure. That's not what I'm saying because you'd get three or four more years of him. It'd be a probably you know fun three or four more years. These next three or four more years for Louisville are not going to be fun. They're not going to be fun if Patino's the coach. It's, they're not going to be fun if you have an interim head coach this year. It's not going to be fun if you get a good coach to take, if you got Greg Marshall from Wichita State to take over next year. Now, nothing will be fun if he takes years. over. He's not a very fun guy. Greg Marshall is more fun, Trevor, than you don't even know what fun is until you've hung out with Greg Marshall. I think I've seen, I think I've seen Bilicek smile more than Greg Marshall. Oh, no, Greg Marshall, he's he's a gem. If I was a Louisville fan, I would love to have Greg Marshall. If I'm, if, Hey, if John Calipari leaves, I'd be okay with Kentucky. Oh, I'm, I'm okay with him as a coach. I'm Greg just saying he, he just doesn't smile. He just doesn't, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no fun. So it just would look better for the NCAA if they moved on. And, and what's, what's the best-case scenario here, Trevor? You keep Rick Pitino. 
this plays out, let's just say it doesn't get any worse than it is right now. You're still looking at at least one postseason ban. You're going to look at a loss of scholarships. It might not be as severe as Sarah. I don't know. Maybe it would be. I don't, I don't know. You'd, you'd lose some scholarships. Patino would have strict recruiting violations placed on him. Uh, he would be suspended X amount of games. And, okay, so you get through that, but if the postseason ban's not going to happen this year, then that's going to happen in 2017. So 2017 would be a wash. And then, you know, when does it start getting better? Is Rick Patino going to coach into his 70s? When does it start getting better? And do you really want to kind of go through all that? I just don't think that that's the way to go about it. But again, I'm not a Louisville fan, and it doesn't really matter what they do, in my opinion. I can sit back and just talk about what they decide to do. I'm just talking about if the shoe was on the other foot, what I think would be best for the program. Nobody's bigger than the University of Louisville. Nobody's bigger than UofL basketball. UofL basketball will survive through this. But just start the process as soon as possible. I don't know. It, it, it seems like most people disagree with me. Louisville fans are getting heated when you even suggest Rick Pitino stepping down. But I don't think they're looking at it at all angles. I think they're saying if Rick Pitino steps down, that means he's admitting guilt. That's not necessarily the case. But it's allowing you and the program to move forward. That's my opinion, Trevor. And, and it seems like I'm in the minority there. Uh, and, and you talk about best-case scenario. I mean, a best-case scenario could be they do get – you know, Patino does get some suspension his first se- this next season. They do get a one season ban for this year, and then he comes back. They they finish the season strong regardless of the suspension. You lose Lewis and Lee, but you also bring in still King and newly other new recruits that we know of at least of now Frankie Hughes out of, of of Ohio and and maybe someone else. And you bounce back in the next and you go to the tournament and you make a run at the tournament and people yeah, completely well, for, completely have forgotten about Katina. Here's the people aren't going to forget about this anytime soon. Here's my guess what happens with everybody asked me. I don't think he will resign, uh, not before the season. I think at some point this year, with the season not going as well as as Louisville fans probably would hope, I think Patino will announce that he will step down at the end of the year. I think Louisville will do a self-imposed postseason ban midway through the year, which I think is kind of cowardly, but you know, whatever. And they will, they'll end that. They'll have their goodbye moment. And then at the end of that year, they'll have their postseason band and Rick Pitino will retire. They'll get a new coach. They'll get a good coach. And then we'll see what the NCAA says. Cause I don't think we're going to hear from the NCAA anytime soon. Uh, we're out of time inside the press box. How, many little, how many little fans do you think are sitting around going, I thought we avoided all this mess when we didn't hire Larry Stacey. Yeah. 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 I would imagine probably several of them are. And again, even if this comes out, even if more bad news come out, you can't look, you can't look negatively on the Rick Pitino era at Louisville. He did a ton for that program. Uh, but I'm sure, Trevor, you're going to be talking with uh, Gabe Diverge next on Inside the Press Box. So I'm going to let I, him talk while I watch the last four innings of the Blue Jay game. Good luck to your He's Blue Jays. He's a Yankee Jays. fan. He has no reason to watch baseball. Oh, go Red Sox. We'll be back tomorrow, 1450 to Sports Buzz. Be a smart fan. Remember that. We'll see you then. Take the Georgia boy, show him how Kentucky do. Uncle Priest Classics, paint Kentucky blue. They say don't forget to seven, no be hitting two. Song call it blue, grass, song call it purple. I'ma call it home, take a shot of tone. Lay back in the lap and take two to the dome. Ride from the bill to BG in my zone. Let me hear you say high time sitting.